So I just want to open for me with prayer. So Father, I just surrender to you right now. I just surrender this teaching, this um, preparation that I've done. I just surrender it all to you and say, Holy Spirit, have your way with it. Holy Spirit, I thank you for anointing this word so that it comes deep into our inner being as wisdom that it just bypasses all of the intellectual pondering and all that, and it just becomes rooted and established deep within us as a wisdom key for healing. This summer series has been a blessing for me to prepare and to give and to hear as Tom and Fran have taught. And I pray, God, with all my heart, that there is a deep, deep revelation that is going into the hearts of the people to receive what you have for them and ultimately to be blessed by you, ultimately to take hold of the inheritance that Jesus paid for, ultimately to receive healing in spirit and in soul and in body. And we ask this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. If you didn't pick up a handout, they were back on the tables. Is there anybody that doesn't have one? Okay, good. Thank you for whoever made sure that they were passed out. Thank you, thank you. Today's key that I'm going to be sharing on is in the, chat, in the book that we're using, the title was Aggressive Faith. But I've changed the title a little bit because I want to look at two sides of the picture. So the title of this teaching is Active Faith versus Passive Faith. And I just, I'm just going to, uh, I'm excited. The Holy Spirit, when I was preparing this, oh, it was fun. It was so fun because he was just taking it and showing me what to share with you. And I, it just flowed like water as I was preparing it. So the first thing I want to do is I want to give you my mentor, Pastor Tim's word for passive faith. And this is what he says. Wimps get wasted. Wimps get wasted. You just think of that as we move through this. There's a difference between being passive and waiting on God and having active faith and taking a role using the authority that you have as your inheritance, ex exercising that authority and seeing the results. So I want to start with the definition of the word passive. This definition is a simple dictionary definition. Definition of passive. First of all, it is not involving visible reaction or active participation. Sitting back and not involving active participation. Secondly, passive means being influenced or acted upon or affected by some external force or external cause or external agency. So it's, you're being acted upon. That's passive. Passive means being the object of action rather than causing action. So when we think about passive faith, faith means believing. And in this context of our healing meetings, our, our focus is on believing Jesus, believing God's word, believing in the finished work of the cross. So passive faith is believing in a passive way where you're simply waiting, you're saying, okay, God, I believe, and you're just in a position of stillness waiting for the results of your faith. The next thing I want to touch on, and we're going to go there some more, but the next thing I want to touch on is the definition of the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. That's a gospel truth. But... There is a deception of that gospel truth that I want to expose. First, I want to sh share the real definition of sovereignty of God, and then I want to show you the deception, because the deception leads to passivity. So first, let me give you the true definition. And once again, this is just a simple dictionary definition. First of all, sovereign means a sovereign person or a sovereign being is a king or a queen or a noble person who serves as chief of state or a ruler or a monarch. God is sovereign. He is a king. He is one who, who serves as chief or ruler. So he is sovereign in that, in that context. Another part of the definition, something or someone being paramount or supreme. And I looked up that word paramount, and it means of highest importance. 
God is sovereign. He is paramount. He is supreme. The next part of the definition means having supreme rank or power. That's God. God has supreme above all. He's above all. The next one is self-governing, independent. The definition of sovereign is self-governing or independent. No one gives God orders. What we share in here when we're talking about agreeing with God, it is not ordering God or telling God to do something or saying, do it my way. It's agreeing with him in his way. It's surrendering and submitting to him. But we don't give him orders. He is sovereign. And the last part of this definition is super or above. And once again, God is super and he is above all. So in that context, that's the true definition of sovereign. God is sovereign. Now here's the deceptive definition. This definition has been concocted in, in religion. And it serves a purpose. And I'll tell you the purpose after I give you the definition. Here's the, the deceptive definition. God controls everything and nothing can happen without his permission. That's the deceptive definition that God controls everything and nothing can happen without his permission. That is not what the word of God teaches. That is not. It is a convenient theology because when we don't understand certain things, we can always say, this is what God's will is. This is what he's, God was responsible for that for whatever reason, but that's a lie. That deceptive lie encourages passivism. It encourages you to sit back and say, whatever will be, will be. It's in God's timing. I spoke, I, I, Kent and I were on the way here. I feel like I need to share this. I shared it with one person already. I have heard this said many times, that God always answers our prayers, but sometimes the answer is yes, sometimes it's no, and sometimes it's wait. That's not what the Bible says. The scripture says that the promises of God, he says yes. It doesn't say he says no or wait. It says it's in, it's in 2 Corinthians 10.5, approximately. It's in, it's in there. I could find it for you if I needed to. But it says God's promises are yes. And our response is to say amen through Jesus Christ. Those promises are yes and amen through Jesus and his finished work. So passivity is a problem. I want to give you a truth. It's on your paper. I want to talk about this truth, and I'm going to give you evidence. And then we're going to look at what the truth is that God has given us. And it's not to be a passive believer. It's to be an active participator. So here's truth that leads us into that place of being active. First of all, Jesus defeated the enemy and stripped him of all authority and power. That's number one. Number two. All authority in the universe was given to Jesus. And number three, he has conferred that authority on us, the children of God. And we are co-heirs, co-heirs with Jesus. Jesus' inheritance is our inheritance. Jesus' authority is our authority. I'm going to show you all of that in Scripture. But this is a, a, a picture that I, as I was preparing this, that God gave to me. And um, it's, it has to do with our AT&T family plan. We have seven people on our AT&T family plan. And there are only two authorized users. We can only have two in our family. If anybody in that big family wants to do anything without me with them, I have to authorize them. I have to make them an authorized user of our plan. They can't buy a new phone. They can't do anything unless we go online and make them an authorized user. With that authorized user plan, they can go to the store and because I'm their mama and because my name is on that and it's, you know, essentially my phone plan because of education. It's under my name because I could get a good benefit as being an educator. Because Cindy's name's on there and I've authorized them, they can do anything with, when they're in that store that they want to do. They have the authority to do it. 
That's what Jesus has done with us. He has authorized us. We are on the family plan. We are authorized to do everything that he does because his name's on it. So we have authority. So what I want to do now is I want to go through some scriptures to defend everything that is in that bold truth. The first scripture is from Colossians chapter 2. And it's from a translation of the Bible called the Passion Translation. You may have heard of it. It's, it's been published pretty recently. Um, and I've just been reading it and kind of delving in and getting a lot of deep revelation. So that, this, that's where this comes from. Listen to this. And through the divine authority of his cross, he, con- he canceled out every legal violation we had on our record and the old arrest warrant that stood to indict us. He erased it all, our sins, our stained soul, and our shameful failure to keep his laws. He deleted it all, and they cannot be retrieved. Everything we once were in Adam has been placed onto his cross and nailed permanently there as a public display of cancellation. So that, I'm going to stop there for just a sec. So in this beautiful um, translation of the Bible, it's so clear. It tells us that the cross, when Jesus went to the cross, our sin was deleted and it can never be retrieved. Isn't that good news? All of the, the sin that was on our nature that we had carried because of, because of the fall of man. And it even says, everything we once were in Adam has been placed on the cross, nailed permanently as a public display of cancellation. Deleted, never to be retrieved. Isn't that good? And then, because of that, because of the cancellation of the effect of sin, the nature of sin, the second part took place. Then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them, that's the the powers and principalities of darkness, he led them around as prisoners in in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his. So because the, the, the effect of the fall was destroyed, because Jesus paid the price for our remission of sins and we were justified, because of that, the enemy had no more power. The dominion was transferred. And I love the last line of that where it says, Jesus wasn't their prisoner. They were his. Okay. So Jesus gained that back. Now, in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, you'll see where that authority that Jesus retrieved was conferred upon us. Then Jesus came closer to them, the apostles, and he said, all the authority of the universe has been given to me. Now, go in my authority and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to faithfully follow all that I have commanded you. And never forget that I am with you every day, even to the, even to the completion of this age. So once again, this is the Passion Translation, but I love it because Jesus said, all authority was given to me, And then the very next line says, Now go in my authority and make disciples. Go in my authority and take this message to the world and advance God's kingdom. This is one of the um, um, scriptures where it talks about the Great um, Commission. It says at the title in your Bible, it says the Great Commission. There's another scripture in Mark I didn't include that one. But there's another great commission in Mark. And in the book of Mark, it says, believers, that scripture said it was talking to the apostles. But in Mark, it says, believers can lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. It says, believers go preach the word. It says, believers raise the dead. It says, believers can, can even um, take up serpents and it won't harm them. There's all sorts of things and it's directed specifically to believers. Okay, 
Romans 8, 17. If we are his children, then we are his heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, sharing his spiritual blessing and inheritance. What I want to show you, Jesus did it. He, did the, he finished the work on the cross. The authority was, dis, was conferred on us because we're his children. We have his inheritance. We're co-heirs with Jesus. And everything that Jesus inherited is ours. We're co-heirs because we're children. Now, huh, this is so important. We have to be children before we get all that. We have to be believers in order to be adopted into the family of God. And that happens when you receive Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. That happens when you make the choice to accept Jesus' sacrifice, believe it, confess it with your mouth, and receive it. And then we are adopted into the family of God. And we, are inherit we have the inheritance and we're co-heirs with Christ. A couple more scriptures that tells what your authority is. Luke 10:19. This is even given before Jesus paid the price. Listen to this. Jesus said to his apostles, "Listen carefully. I have given you authority that you now possess to tread on serpents and scorpions and the ability to exercise authority over all the power of the enemy, Satan, and nothing will in any way harm you." That's a good word. You might need to take that scripture right there, type it up or write it up and carry it with you and say, keep this in front of you because sometimes you don't feel like you have authority. doesn't matter what you feel. What matters is what God's word says because that is truth. And then in Matthew 10, verses 7 and 8, another scripture that gives us a picture of what that authority looks like. And as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. That's our calling. That's what God has called us to do. That's the authority that we have. That's the authority that's been conferred on us. But if we sit passively and don't exercise that authority, we are not stepping into that role of active faith. I had a woman I was praying with a couple days ago, and her words to me were, she's, she's dealing with uh, uh, inner healing, very grave inner healing need. And she said, I feel, this is, I'm just going to tell you how I feel. I feel that it would be just as difficult for me to get healed as it would be to raise somebody from the dead. And I smiled. And I said, that's on my bucket list. <laughs> I always wanted to raise somebody from the dead. Let's do it, girl. In the name of Jesus, that's our calling. We just need to take a step into it and do what we're called to do. So that's what we're, that's, that's what we're called to do. Passive faith doesn't look like that. I'm going to give you a picture. The problem with passive faith. This is a picture of what passive faith looks like. Instead of doing what he's commissioned us to do, and we just read all about that commissioning, instead of doing that, we're asking God to do what he told us to do. We're asking God to do what he told us to do. God's already released all the power within us. He's conferred his authority on us. Now we must exercise that authority and power. We are to carry out the mission of Christ. That's our job. We are to carry it out. We are commissioned with him. He's with us. We're not doing it alone. <laughs> we are fully dependent on the Holy Spirit in us, the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of God. We're fully dependent. In 1 John 3, 8, and this is not a scripture that's on there. I just I wanted to share this with you. This is Jesus' mission. This is what the scripture says. For this purpose, the Son of Man was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. That's our mission, because we're in commission with him. The word works in that scripture could be, you could put the word 
business or enterprise. Jesus came, Jesus was manifest to destroy the business, the purpose, the enterprise of the devil. And we're in commission with him. Uh, we are called to advance the kingdom of God, to carry out the, the mission and to advance the kingdom of God. In the scripture in Matthew, um, might still be up there. Yeah, it is still up there. Um, it says, um, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is at hand. Let me tell you what the definition of this is. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is the royal power and authority of King Jesus to rule over the kingdom of darkness. We have that same power and authority because we're co-heirs. So it, our role is to advance the kingdom of God. That is, if I could put Jesus Christ Heals Today mission statement in one line, that would be it. To advance the kingdom of God with the royal power and authority of King Jesus that's been conferred upon us and the power of the Holy Spirit that's within us for the purpose of overcoming and defeating any lie of the enemy because it's a lie it's already been defeated it's already been destroyed and like that scripture said that we read in colossians it said um let me see if i can find it again i can't find it right and i lost my train of thought but the pro the, the 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 point is that we have that authority and the enemy's been defeated so we can step into it so our part is to advance the kingdom. We are called Christians, right? The name Christ, Jesus the Christ, means Jesus, the anointed one, and his anointing. Think of all that Jesus did with the anointing that he carried, and that was the Holy Spirit. We have the same Holy Spirit. We have the authority and the power Christian means little Christ. And that's what we are. We're little Jesus. <laughs> Walking around, doing and carrying out his mission. But if you're passive and sitting back waiting for God to do it, you're probably going to sit there and not be receiving what God has for you because we need to be aggressive. So let's move into the next part, which is active faith. Active faith. So what does this look like? What does active faith look like in contrast to passive faith? I am going to contrast those in this section of the teaching. I want to define the word active with a dic dictionary definition. First of all, it means engaged in action, participation. Participation. And secondly, active means causing activity or change. And capable of exerting influence instead of sitting back and waiting for something to happen just saying okay i believe you god i believe you god i'm just waiting and sitting and waiting instead of that we are taking action participating exerting influence there are three points i want to talk about first second third here's the first thing that we need to know to have active faith we need to know, and this is good, we need to know that we have the faith of Jesus in us. And that's enough faith. You don't have to worry if you have enough faith or not. You do, because you have the faith of Jesus. Now, this might be something you've never heard or you don't understand. So I've got three pieces of scriptural evidence to defend my case. Romans 12, verse 3. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. I use the King James Version because the word the is very important. It is a specific measure of faith that is dealt or given to each believer. In some versions, they put the word a instead of the, which is much less specific. Like, you could have a measure, and Fran might have a different measure. But that's not what it says. 
It is very specific. We have all been given, think of cards being passed out. Everybody gets the same amount of cards. We have the measure of faith. Everybody is given the same measure of faith. At the beginning of the scripture, it says, you know, don't depend on yourself. If we try to figure out how to have enough faith and build it up and be strong enough, there's no way we would make it. But we don't have to because we have the measure of faith. Now, the next scripture shows that that measure of faith is the faith of Jesus. Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet, not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So I've been crucified with Christ. The old person is dead. The old sin nature is dead. I have been resurrected to new life, so I live. But I don't live just Cindy. I live by the faith of the Son of God. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's how I live. That's how I live the fullness of life that Jesus came to give me. Now you, can, you have a choice, and if you don't have knowledge, you can live just like the world lives. But if you know that you have the faith of the Son of God residing in here, it's going to change your whole thought process. It's going to change your mindset. And, and some, suddenly you're going to feel like you're a superman because you are, <laughs> because of who resides in you. Here's another piece of evidence, Acts 3.16. This scripture is in the middle of a, a, an account where there is a man who has been um, paralyzed from birth. And he is, this is, Jesus has already ascended. And the apostles speak to the man and they say, stand up and walk. And he does. And then everybody's questioning how this man got healed. And this is part of their explanation. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. It's Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him. The faith of Jesus. We have the faith of Jesus in us. That is something really powerful for you to declare over yourself. Always, not just when you're feeling weak, but always. I have the faith of Jesus in me. It's certainly enough. We have more than enough faith. We just need to use it. So the question is, and this is something you might want to ponder throughout the week, what measure of that measure of faith are you operating in? You have the same measure I have. What measure of that measure are you using? Are you operating in? So the first big thing we need to understand to have active faith is that we have the faith of Jesus in here. Here's the second important piece. We need a faith paradigm shift. A paradigm is when you have a fundamental belief, something that is deep inside of you. You may already have had this paradigm shift, but if you haven't, you need it. It will change your view of how faith works. Now, in this section, I gave you all my notes. There's a couple blanks in there, but I basically gave you all my notes because I want you to have this, this truth. And this may be something so different that it seems foreign to you or it seems like a, a, a view you've never heard or thought of. So that's why I wanted to give it all to you. So you can take it home, meditate on it, and let it become deep in you and displace any lies or any partial truths about faith. So here's, here's some good news. The spiritual realm is more real than the physical realm. In this human body that we have, we have senses, and they're loud, and they're clear. What we feel, what we hear, what we smell, what we see, they're big. But 
this is this is important what's in the spiritual realm is more real than that it is more real it's not faith you don't need faith if you can see it hear it touch it you don't need faith for that but what is completed in my spirit is more real than what I feel or see. So I want to just talk for just a second about that first part. The spiritual realm is more real than the physical. Well, what do you mean spiritual realm? That's everything that has already been done. If you take those two scriptures from Colossians about what Jesus did on the cross, when sin was nailed to the cross, and when all sin was deleted, never to be retrieved, it was canceled out. And then the next verse that talked about the authority being stripped from the enemy and that the pris Jesus wasn't the enemy's prisoner, but it was the other way around. That's the spiritual truth. Along with that spiritual truth is the fact that all of the, the, the yuck of the enemy was taken from him. It, all of the power and it says in the scripture that he can no longer accuse us. So is he accusing you of a symptom? Is he accusing you of a bad diagnosis? Is he accusing you of, of lack? That's, those are things that look really real. They're factual. But because Jesus already accomplished the destruction of the enemy in the spiritual realm, that truth, the truth that the enemy is defeated is bigger than what you see here or feel way bigger amen amen so here's some nuggets for you faith is not anchored in the realm of fact but in the realm of truth your faith isn't based on you know the doctor's report your faith is based on god's report fact is a reality that test that you had is a reality it may have shown I don't know, a, a high number on your cancer, on the cancer um, marker scale, okay? It might be there. That doesn't mean it's not real. It's a reality. But truth is a greater reality. Truth trumps facts. Sickness may be the fact, but the truth is that Jesus Christ has already provided for your healing. It's done. It is finished. He doesn't have to provide it now. He only had to provide it once and for all the next nugget eyes of faith can look at the facts and still believe the truth those facts are subject to change but truth never changes truth is constant but here's something we've been, you've been hearing for all summer as we've been doing these wisdom keys and that is that it takes renewing of your mind to see with eyes of faith instead of naturalize it takes renewing of your mind speaking it imagining it muttering uttering speaking meditating imagining roaring it takes that in order to see with eyes of faith instead of eyes of natural natural eyes and here's the third nugget a common misunderstanding is that you must fight to get healed instead of fighting because you've been healed. Isn't that good? There's a big difference. Are you trying to obtain healing or are you defending the healing you already have? Big difference. Are you trying to obtain something that you don't have or are you simply defending something you already have because it's been obtained for you? It's much easier to defend something you already have than it is to fight for something you don't have. So that's the faith paradigm shift, to see things differently, to look at things differently. You can say these words, I'm not a sick person trying to get healed. I'm a healed person defending my healing. It's different. It's just a shift, but it's a big shift. So the first is to know that you have the faith of Jesus, and the second is to have this faith paradigm shift. And here's number three. Take action. Be an active participant in your believing. You'll see a little box on your handout 
One side says active faith and one side says passive. I wanted to just paint a picture of what it looks like in the natural. What a, 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 a snapshot of active faith would look like and what a snapshot of the opposite or passive faith would look like. So I've got four different areas. Here's the first one. Active faith does not rely upon a physical condition to determine a spiritual position. Let me explain that. Active faith, you don't have to see the doctor's report that says healed in order to believe your spiritual position of healed. This is huge. This is a big one. You may have a test coming up. And you may be saying, oh, I'm believing for a really good report. I'm believing, and I'm believing with you. Absolutely. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because you have the result right here. You have the final report. And an active faith, a faith that is alive and agreeing with God, not just sitting and, and waiting for God to do it, but an active faith says, my spiritual position is healed doesn't matter what that PET scan says. My spiritual position is alive and living the life that Jesus gave me. doesn't matter what it looks like right now. Your spiritual position doesn't depend on what you see, hear, or feel. But passive faith needs to see to believe. Passive faith is depending on the senses. You need to feel that lump go away. You need to hear that good report from the, from the doctor. And we all want to have the lumps go away and hear the good reports. There's absolutely, yes, we do. But the, the key is, does that shipwreck your faith? If you get the bad report. Active faith is, uh-uh. I know who I am. I know whose I am. I know the promises, and I know it's Yes. I know God's answer is yes. It isn't no and it isn't wait. It's yes. We're not waiting on God. You've heard this before. He's waiting on us. <laughs> and this is, might be what he's waiting on. For you to get aggressive. For you to take action. Here's the second area of active faith. Active faith can be heard in our words. We've been talking about this the last couple of weeks when I taught. I believe and therefore I speak. Out of your abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. You can hear active faith in a person's words. But you can also hear passive faith in a person's words. Active faith. Active faith. Um, I want to make sure I say this right. Um, mm, okay. Active faith results in complete believing. Active faith is you know that you know that you know it. The words that you speak reveal what you know. But passive faith reveals unbelief. Active faith reveals belief, knowing with all your heart. Passive faith reveals unbelief. Next week, Fran is going to be teaching on those two things, belief and unbelief. And your words are very often evidence. Active faith can be heard. The third area of active faith. It has a corresponding action that reflects your faith. Active faith has a corresponding action. I want to show you, and I don't have the scripture on there either, I don't think. This is James chapter 2, 17. So also faith, if it does not have works, deeds and actions of obedience to back it up, by itself is, is destitute of power, inoperative, dead. It says that faith needs actions to back it up. And when God gives you directions, do it. We talked about that last week when we talked about eyes to see and ears to hear. When we have those directions, God says take action that reflects your faith. So what does that look like? Last week, I believe it was last week, I was talking to Fran after our meeting, and she reminded me of, of something in my testimony. And this was back when um, I had thyroid surgery, and after I had thyroid surgery, my voice was 
uh, the, the enemy tried to steal my voice. And my voice is what I use to teach. And during that six months, or approximately six months, when my voice was very weak and very, uh, uh, it, it, it didn't sound good, I chose to do this step. I chose to have a corresponding action that reflects my faith. I refused to give the enemy an inch. The, I had that surgery, that thyroid surgery, on a Friday. And at that time, our meetings were on Wednesday. Five days later, Wednesday, I was teaching. I had a very quiet voice, but I was teaching because I wasn't about to let the enemy have any inroad with me. As I progressed, my voice didn't come back. I still had, I could talk, but I didn't have any highs and high end to my voice. So I had no inflection. All I had was a monotone. God gave me a scripture. G ask him for a scripture. He'll give it to you. The scripture he gave to me was Psalm 27, verse 6. And this is what it says. And now shall my head be lifted up above my enemies round about me. In his tent, I will offer sacrifices and shouting of joy. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. That was the word he gave me. I couldn't sing a lick. But God gave me a promise and I would be, no way was I going to let the, the devil steal from me. Now, he kept shooting arrows at me. People kept coming and telling me, oh, so-and-so had thyroid surgery and they never got their voice back. And uh, people who had had thyroid surgery came and talked to me and said, oh, I'm sorry, I never got my voice back. And every time I would hear those, I would say, that's not me. That's not me. This is me. This is what God says. And then I took action. I, every chance I got, I did what the scripture says. I shouted to the Lord. I sang to the Lord. When I was in church praising and worshiping, I opened my voice and I praised and worshiped, even though the sound that came out was awful. When I was home, I would close the bedroom door, turn on the CD, turn on the music, and with all my heart, I would sing to God and with a terrible voice. But I was doing this step right here. Active faith takes action that reflects your belief. You get up and do something, what it is, whatever it is. Many times when we pray for you, we'll, take, we'll ask you to take an action of faith. Take a step if it's your knee. You know, if it's your shoulder, lift your arm up. Give it a try. Take an act of faith. Passive faith, on the other hand, sits back and waits on God to do something he's already done. He's already done the work. Passivity is sitting and waiting for God to do it. He's already done it. The last, the last step here in this chart. Active faith has an attitude. It has an attitude. It is absolutely confident in the word of God and it won't take anything else for an answer. My favorite example of this in the Bible, and I'm sorry, this one isn't up there either, Tom. Holy Spirit was just showing me all sorts of things today. Romans 4, verse 20 and 21. This is Abraham and Sarah. No unbelief or distrust made them waver or doubtingly question concerning the promise of God. But they grew strong and were empowered by faith as they gave praise and glory to God. Fully satisfied and assured that God was able and mighty to keep his word and to do what he had promised. They weren't taking no for an answer. They had all sorts of stuff in front of them to see, hear, and feel that was against all hope. But they hoped anyway. They believed anyway. And they knew that God was fully able to carry out his promise. That's what act of faith looks like. It is saying, oh no, that's my God. That's my God, and I won't believe anything else. Passive faith, on the other hand, is timid and lacks confidence in God's promises. And, it, and, may, and this is what it might sound like. Well, maybe it's not God's will for me. Maybe for some reason, you know, God, God is teaching me something. Maybe, 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 and they're, they're asking all these questions. Uh-uh, there's no maybes. There's no maybes. God is a faithful God. And if he says that's his will, that's his will. He doesn't change. He doesn't waver. God, by grace, has provided everything. But we have a choice. We have freedom of choice. 
whether God's perfect will for us comes to pass or not, it doesn't happen without our cooperation. That one you need to let sink in. We have a part to play. Ephesians 3.20, just wrapping it up right now. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, and then it goes on and it praises him. Okay, I love this scripture. The first part before the comma says about our great big God. Above and beyond, super abundantly above and beyond all that we could ask, dream, or desire. So as, you're, as you have that, that thing that you're imagining that is so amazing, that you're, you're believing God for, as you ask God, as you agree with God and his amazing promises, God says, yeah, watch me. Just watch me. Super abundant, that prayer, Cindy. Because my way is so much bigger and grander than you could even begin to dream that's the first part of the scripture. But then there's a comma. And it says, according to the power that works in us. That power is our faith. That power is our believing. According to our active faith, and I'm, I'm, I'm even going to say active faith, not passive faith. According to our active faith, God can super abundant everything that we ask but if we're sitting back passively waiting on god the results probably won't be the same that ephesians three twenty is the the important part of that is the power that works in us mark 11 jesus is teaching on faith and this is what he says jesus answered and said to them have faith in god for assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes these things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. That's act of faith. Believe and speak. Believe and speak. Speak to the mountain. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you'll have them. That word receive, believe that you receive them. If you translated it from the Hebrew or from the Greek into English, more accurately, it would say, believe that you have taken. Not believe that you will receive. That sounds passive. The scripture actually says, believe that you have taken them. Now, you might not see it yet, but you have taken it. Remember, what's in the spiritual realm is more real than what you see. Believe that you have taken it. And you will have it. So take it. Be aggressive. Take back the ground the enemy has stolen. Stay angry at sickness. Get angry if you're not. And stay angry at sickness. Hate what God hates. Love what he loves. And the next line, highlight it. Don't make peace. Don't make peace with the devil's plan. Don't make peace with it. Don't say, oh, you know, don't be a martyr. God wants you to be healed and glorify him and be a light and be a voice for the world. We have a choice. We can accept it. We can receive it. We can make peace with it. By that, I mean saying, okay, I'm okay with having this disease. I'm okay if I die. And I know you will be okay, because we're all children of God and we're going to be in heaven. Absolutely. We'll be okay. What did Paul say? What did the Apostle Paul say? He said, it's, you know, it would be great to be with you, Jesus. But it's more important that I'm here. We have authority. We have dominion and power over the things of the kingdom of God. The enemy is an illegal intruder. He has no authority in our temple. You're the boss. Act like it. Act like it. Act like it. Like that scripture, um, that Colossian scripture, when it said Jesus wasn't the enemy's prisoner. The enemy was his prisoner. Think like that. 
Think like that. The, I'm not the enemy's prisoner. I'm not cancer's prisoner. Uh-uh. It's my prisoner. I is defeated. I have authority. You know, whatever. If it's cancer, I'm giving you the death penalty <laughs> now. No matter what it is, I give it the death penalty. And that's my next line. Whether it's a cold or a cancer, it doesn't matter. Make a choice not to carry any of the devil in your body. Guys, I think we need to get angry at the sickness. Sometimes we're just too passive. Sometimes we're just too passive. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. Get up. Get mad at the enemy. Get mad at the devil. Tell him where he can go. You have authority to do it. Matthew 11, 11 and 12. Love this scripture. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he, greater than John the Baptist. We are now, as children of the king, co-heirs with Jesus. We are now in the kingdom of heaven. We've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his light. This is our, where we reside. And from the days of John the Baptist until today, until the present time, the kingdom of heaven has endured violent assault. And violent men seize it by force as a precious prize. A share in the heavenly kingdom is sought with most ardent zeal and intense exertion. The violent take it by force. Don't fight the devil under the bed. <laughs> Don't crawl under the bed and hide. Get out from under the bed. Tell him to get under there. <laughs> okay, and here's my final scripture. Joshua 1.9. This is my command. Jesus commands us. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Jesus commanded us to be strong and courageous. That sounds to me like he wants us to stand up into our rightful position as sons and daughters of God and to do what sons and daughters do. We have been authorized in this family plan to do whatever it is that Jesus already did to enforce it.